Amen. Greeting this morning uh, to the saints of God in Jesus' name. I'm always glad to be in the house of God in this part of the vineyard. Amen. Yes, I love the music. I always have my wife whenever I come here. I enjoy the music. You know, we don't sing these songs at most of the churches now. You know, we're singing the different songs. You know, but these songs, they remind you of the, the old rugged cross. These songs, they speak of uh, the very reason why we are here today, and they speak of Jesus. The references are simple. It's not fancy words. They speak of Jesus, his name. You know, now to find the, the name of Jesus in a song is difficult. Out of maybe 200 words, you'll be lucky to find Jesus mentioned once. You know, but I like these old songs because they glorify him who saved us. They glorify him who died for us. They glorify the reason for our salvation. The one who loved us, the Bible says, while we were yet still sinners. While you and I were in the world confused. We were in the world sick spiritually. We were in the world suffering from self-condemnation. We were victims of the devil. But here goes Jesus, out of his way, did not have to, out of his way, gives his life for us. While we were blaspheming his name, he chose to die for us because he loves us. He loved us then, and I want to tell you today that he loves you even now. And because you are alive, there's an opportunity for change, to be closer to Jesus. I like to greet the pastor, amen, his wife, family, the leadership of the church, you know, all friends of mine, familiar faces. I've, I've, I remember I've uh, been at a few agape meals with you guys. I think once I can eat with you, then we're kind of friends now. I think the mistake was, you know, just smiling at me because that means I can just come to your house now, you know. Once you smile at me, I'm like, okay, that's an invitation. <laughs> You'll see me walking into your lounge very soon, into your dining room. But we're glad to be back here. You know, I've got my wife with me, my brother-in-law and his colleague there. Glad to be here. We really do appreciate you guys and you're a part of our family, you know, and... Uh, I always say to my wife that when you walk with the wise, you become wise, you know, and when you walk with the fool, you perish. And I like to be in the congregation of the wise, people with the same mentality, same faith, you know, who speak the same language. Uh, we are facing heavenward, you know, the world is busy doing their own thing, the world is going crazy. I don't know if you noticed this, but this is everywhere across the globe, the world is going crazy. You know, they're making decisions on an international level that make no sense. It's just madness, it's chaos. But you and I have this one blessed assurance. We know that Jesus Christ is coming back again. We know and we have this vision that we are going somewhere. We are pilgrims just passing through. We are not to be caught up with the elementary things of this world. No, we have a vision and we have a plan. That Lord, as confused as the world may be, we know that you are wisdom, you are guiding us, and we will not be sucked into the vacuum of the world's craziness. We are headed somewhere. We are going home. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray this morning and we'll continue with the word of God. The word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This word. 
I believe that this word is life. You know, I always say to parents, if there's ever anything you can give your child, if you love your child as a Christian, you give them God's word. Yes, we have the cars we buy them. Yes, we have the inheritance we leave for them. Yes, we have the fancy things that they need in this life. But if you treasure your child's salvation, you treasure their soul, you give them God's word. And this word will act as a blueprint. It will act as a compass. It will act as a map. As a uh, go through this life. It will take them to a place called heaven. It will draw them closer and closer with God our Father. This word. It's revolutionary, this word. It's life-changing. This word is life transform, has life transformation power in it. This word is able to change destinies. This word can change a human life. This word. Psychology can't beat this word. The police can't beat this word. Doctors can't beat this word. Scientists cannot beat this word. Theologians cannot beat this word. This word in its power, in its simplicity, carries dynamite power. Bible scholars call it dunamis, Holy Ghost power, lies in this word. Doesn't look like it, but it's true. So we're going to preach the word of God after I pray. And I challenge you, I invite you, I implore you to receive God's word and allow it to find a resting place in your heart that it may grow and manifest and become life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again this morning in Jesus' name, thanking you for this opportunity you've given us to be in this particular part of the vineyard, trusting you, O God, that you would touch us today, even as we would share your word. O God, your word is not to be used to preach at people, no, but your word is used, O God, to comfort people. It's used to convict, it's used to convert. And God, even as I am the preacher, the word goes forward and it comes right back to me, God, that I too may be challenged by this word. That I may say, do as I do, but not do as I say. And I pray in Jesus' name that God will begin to bless us in this house. Touch, O oh God, those who are sick and needy. O oh God, deliver the restless soul. Give peace to the one who is going through a storm. In Jesus' name, make the impossible possible. Amen and amen. Can we turn to the book of Jonah? <clears throat> Jonah chapter 1, we'll read a few verses. The Bible reads like this, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee, from, to flee unto Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship along Tarshish, and he paid the fare thereof. And he went down into it to go to them unto Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, that the ship was like to be broken. Verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and they cried every man to his God. And they cast forth the wares or the treasures that were in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay, and he was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? 
arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Amen. I want to entitle this message, The Moonwalker Syndrome. The Moonwalker Syndrome. Who here is familiar with that dance called the Moonwalker? Are you familiar with that? Who knows a man called Michael Jackson? He's dead now. That is a dance that this man, Michael Jackson, made popular. It was called the Moonwalker. In short, the Moonwalker is a man standing on the stage, giving the impression that he's walking. His arms are moving. His legs are moving. He's whole, when you look at him, he is walking. His heartbeat is as though he is mobile. The sound on the ground is of a man who is walking. He's got a swing, the legs are moving, and you are convinced that this man is moving. But when you step a little bit back and you widen the view and you see the background, you notice that this man, even though it seems like he's moving, in reality, he is going nowhere. It's called the moonwalker. Energy is being utilized, but he is going nowhere. Motion is there, but he is going nowhere. Heart's beating, but he is going nowhere. The moonwalker syndrome. We just read there, Jonah, the Bible says, verse 1, God speaks to this man, Jonah. Now, Jonah's ear is in tune to the voice of God. And Jonah is able to hear clearly that God is speaking. And not just that, Jonah is so uh, in tune with what God is saying, that he even understands who the source of the message is. Jonah knows that this is God who is speaking. It's not just anybody. So Jonah is a man, number one, who can hear from God. Now, I don't know about the fathers in this place, but if I had a daughter, I'd want my daughter to marry a man like that. A man whose ear is tuned into the voice of God. What a man. He can hear God speak. What a man. Who when God is up there in heaven, he thinks on earth, who can I talk to? I'll talk to Jonah. Jonah is a special man. Jonah is a man of God. A man who is in line with the frequency of heaven that he can unload a message, decode it, and know that, hey, this is God who's speaking. What a man. Surely he's got to be a godly man. Surely he's got to be a good man to hear God speak. Jonah. God says to Jonah, here's a task. There's Nineveh that's in trouble. You go and speak to Nineveh. Cry against it. This is the word I'm giving you. Go and speak. Jonah. Not only does Jonah listen and hear from God, Jonah gets up and Jonah takes action and Jonah is now moving. 
So point number two, Jonah's an action man. What a man. Wouldn't you want your daughter to marry a man like that? The man can hear from God. And also, this man has initiative. This man is able to rise up and take and stand at attention that, hey, something needs to be done, I will get up and I'll move. Jonah is a man of action. Not only that, the Bible says Jonah goes down because Jonah's got a vision, he's got a plan. He's got to get into the boat and he's got to flee in the boat. The Bible says Jonah pays the fare thereof. Point number three, Jonah is a man of vision. God says to him, you go to Nineveh, cry against it. Jonah gets up, he's going to Tarshish. So Jonah's got a vision. Man of, he can hear God speak. He's a man that rises up to the occasion and he's got a vision. He knows that's the destination I'm going to, Tarshish. I will go there. What a man. Wouldn't you want a son-in-law like that? Man of vision. My, couldn't imagine, fathers, how less stressed you'd be. Oh, my daughter's married to a man of vision. Jonah has got a vision. Got his plan, and he heads forth to his vision. Point number four. Jonah gets there, and the Bible says, Jonah pays the fair day of. Which means that Jonah has got money in his pocket. That's the number one gem, I think. He's got money in his pocket. What a man. What a man. He's got money in his pocket. He's a man of substance. Jonah. What a man. Surely this man has got to be a man of God. He can hear from God. He takes action when he hears from God. He's got a vision and a set plan and he goes toward it. And still he finances his own vision. Jonah, what a man. Pays the faith thereof. Now not only does he have his own money. Point five. He uses his own. Having your own money is one thing. But using your own money. That's another thing. Some people have money, but they don't want to use their money. Jonah has money, and he uses his own money to finance his vision. What a man. Five stars for Jonah. Marry my daughter. You've got to be a good man. But guess what? Jonah is not a well man. Guess what? Jonah... He's doing the moonwalker. Looks like he's going somewhere. Sounds like he's going somewhere. Seems like he's going somewhere. Looks obedient. We'll take it back to point one. Sometimes when God speaks to you, it does not mean that... God speaking to you does not mean that you are in God's favor. Hearing God's voice is good. But hearing God's voice... And doing something about it is the point. When you hear God speak and you don't respond to what God is saying, it's pointless. It's like saying to you, here's a hundred dollars that you need. And you acknowledge, 
that, oh, sir, Johnny, you've got money for me. But if you're not taking it, there's no point. So when God is speaking to you, it means that God is expressing His mercy, God is expressing His love, God is giving you attention because God wants you to respond to what He is saying. The Bible says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what God is saying. Not only that, when you see God's word and hear God's word, you've got to put action to God's word. You've got to apply God's word. God's word sitting in there has no power in your life. You've got to take God's word and apply it to your life for change to come. The Bible says it's when you call upon the name of the Lord that you are saved. The Bible says it is when you ask that you shall receive. You've got to activate your faith to receive from the word of God. Because God can speak all day and all night. But if you don't receive from God's word and act on it, it serves no purpose. Sometimes it's easy to be comfortable and think, oh well, if I'm in church, you know, or I'm at home and I've got access to God's word, my life is okay. Your life is not okay. It's only okay when you can take that same word and stand on that word. That's when it's okay. I remember when I was a sinner man, you know, I was living in South Africa, unsaved, drinking, I was on drugs, you know, and I was smoking and I was, uh, I mean, I was a messed up boy. And every day I'd walk past, in South Africa they have what they call open airs. It's quite a popular thing. We have a chair, I believe every uh, weekend go to the city and we have open airs. Now, in South Africa, every single corner, it's not that regulated like it is on this side, but there people just put up speakers and they start preaching the gospel. And it's God's word being spoken. And I remember in my drunken state, I'd walk past and I'd hear God's word. That, I mean, think about it. This is God's powerful word. And I'd listen to it for a couple of minutes and I'd go home and my life wouldn't change. Because hearing God's word is good, but it's not good enough if you don't apply it. But guess what? The day I heard God's word and I grabbed on it and I applied it into my life, that's when change came. You see, Jonah, he heard God speak to him. But Jonah never take action according to what God was saying to him. If you're at home and dad says, hey, look, wash the dishes. Okay, dad. That doesn't mean anything. It only means something when you take action and you do what the word is saying. So this morning, church, I want to challenge you to, I mean, we are living in a privileged time where God's word is being preached freely and broadly in this country. So whenever God's word is getting pushed forward, grab upon God's word and act upon God's word because God's word is powerful. God's word can change and it can transform your life. Because sometimes when you're sitting in the house of God and you're hearing God's word, from the outside I'm looking in, it seems as though oh, those people are doing very well. But guess what? When God is looking, because he's got the scales, when God is looking, he can see that, oh, okay, she looks like she's getting the word, but she's not living according to what she's getting. Just like Jonah. Point number two, Jonah, when he heard God's word, Jonah took action, did he not? The Bible says Jonah, he gets up and he's moving. But guess what? The Bible says, if you build a house without the Lord, those who labor, labor 
in vain, except the Lord builds it. Those who labor, labor in vain. In other words, whatever activity that you partake in, whatever actions that you do, if it's not actions that are led and guided by the Lord, they are in vain. Remember what the word says? They'll go and say, Lord, I did such and such in your name. Lord, I did such and such in your name. And you say, no, 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 I did not, I do not know you. I never knew you because it's not commissioned by the Lord. In other words, everything that we do has got to be led and guided and built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Being busy and being active does not mean that you are doing that which God is saying you must do. Being involved does not mean that you are doing that which is God's will. I mean, look into the world. They are making millions and millions and millions. But it doesn't mean because they're doing that, that they are in God's will. Look at Hollywood. Multi-millionaires. But because they have money, it does not confirm that they are in the Lord's favor. In other words, whatever we do has got to be done upon the foundation and the basis of Jesus Christ. Let the Lord be the one who builds your house. Let the Lord be the one who promotes your career. Let the Lord be the one who promotes your health. Let the Lord be the one who chooses your friends. Whatever activity you're busy with, let God be the central focus of that activity. We live in a time where information is all over. We've got social media. We've got Facebook. We've got all of these things and everybody is connected and everybody has information about, I mean, you can go onto the computer now and type in a word, type in water and you'll get so many different explanations and so many breakdowns. But guess what? If Jesus is not the center of that information, it's of no use. You've got to have it, hallelujah, built upon the foundation of Jesus. Jonah rose up and it seemed, he seemed like a man of action. He seemed like a man that's going somewhere. But in true fact, based on God's view, based on God's scales, Jonah was a man going nowhere. Actively doing something but going nowhere. The Bible says he fled. He got up to flee away from what God told him. So what am I saying to you? Earthly success is not confirmation of being in God's will. What am I saying to you? Activity is not confirmation of being in God's will. When I was in the world, I was, for whatever reason, a popular boy. Everybody liked me. And I thought, oh, okay, I must be okay. You know, I smile at folks. They smile back at, Johnny, <laughs> it's all good. But guess what? Because Jesus was not the center of my life. That illusion of popularity as a young person was not confirmation that it's all well with my soul. In fact, it was opposite. It was contrary. The crowd I had around me meant nothing because I was still on the inside a lonely man because I did not have the number one friend whose name is Jesus. You may be surrounded today by folks that love you and they praise you, whatever, be it at work or at school or at uni or whatever the case is. But are they Jesus-centered? Is your conversation a conversation based upon the precepts and ordinances of Jesus? Here is Jonah, a man of action. Seems like he's going somewhere. But guess what? It is away from the presence of the Lord. 
not just that. Point three, we said he's a man of vision. He knows what he wants. He's going to a place. He's, he's an organized man. He's a regimented man. I'm going there to Tarshish. So even if you've got a vision in your life, is that vision in your life a Christ-centered vision? You've got an end plan for your life. Is that end plan a Christ-centered end plan? Where do you plan on going? Is it God's will? Has it passed the scales of Jesus? Has it been filtered by the Holy Ghost? Has God breathed over your vision and said, Okay, look, I bless your plan. Go ahead and be successful. Because you may have a vision, but having a vision does not confirm that you are in God's will. Having a plan does not confirm that it is God's plan. It's only when it's begun here by the word of God. When it's been organized by the Holy Spirit. Like I was saying earlier on today, you know, there's so many songs that are written today by so many different musicians. And these songs sound beautiful. These songs are so lovely. You know, it's so good. They go to these massive churches. And these churches are so full. And they've got vision statements. And everybody thinks because of that look, these people are with the Lord. That does not confirm that they are with the Lord. Because when you peel back the layers, you can begin to see the fruit of sin in that circle, which confirms that God is not approving of that particular gathering. God is not approving of that particular vision. So what I'm saying to you, a vision has got to be a vision that is blessed by God. It's got to be a vision that is directed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's got to be a vision that has been moving you according to what God has designed and orchestrated for you. You've got to remember that the Bible says we are born and we have a purpose. We are born and there's a directive that God has designed for your life. There's a destiny that God has written out for your own life. But the only way to go forward with that is to consult with God himself. Remember when Paul got saved? Well, as Saul, the apostle, Paul the apostle, Saul the persecutor, when he got saved, Jesus said, God said, I have a plan for him. Don't worry about him. I have a plan for him. In other words, God has a plan for you. God has sat down and God has constructed a future for you. He's constructed a destiny for you. You may have your own plan, but God has the main plan. And in order to fall in line with God's plan, all you've got to do is forsake your own plan and say, God, you lead me. God, you guide me. Jesus himself says, if it be your will, let it be done. Remember, I submit myself to your will. Because it's your will, let us continue. Because God has a plan. And today in our lives, we are so organized with our own visions. We are so organized with our own directions that we tend to push God out and forget his plan. Because God's plan is a bit of a boring plan. The plan I have, I want to be a millionaire, you know, so God, A. Hey, the plan I have, I want to have a Mercedes Benz and I want to live on a fancy mansion. You know, God, your plan. The plan I want to go through all the young girls first before I settle down. You know, the plan I have, I want to be popular and I want to be famous, so God, your plan. <laughs> God's plan has got to be the first plan. 
What was the fourth point? Jonah was a man of much wealth. He had money. And he had, and the fifth point was, he was prepared to use the money. And people feel because they're prosperous and everything is good, it's well with me. My lights are paid. My car bill is paid. My mortgage is paid. Everything has got to be well with me. I'm kind of, I'm comfortable. I'm not in trouble. Guess what? That does not mean that it is well with your soul. You may have money in your pocket and you may be rich physically, but are you rich spiritually? Is it well with your soul? What is your spiritual position? Oh yeah, your financial one is an okay one. You're covered. But what is your spiritual position? I always say this, it's either you're a rich sinner or you're a poor sinner. It's, it's not that salvation is for the poor only. No, it's for the rich too. <laughs> if you don't have Christ in your life, guess what? You need Jesus. Oh, but I've got money. You need Jesus. Remember the rich man? He said, okay, you take all that which you have and give it to the poor and come over and follow me. But it was hard. Rich people need Jesus too. If your life is perfect in this world financially, guess what? You need Jesus too. You are not exempt. You are not excluded. Because having money in your pocket does not confirm that it is all well with your soul. You may seem okay, but when you step back and you look at it through the eyes of the Lord, you are poor. The Bible says, Jonah gets into this boat and now guess what? Jonah is traveling. Jonah is in the boat and the boat is moving. So now Jonah is going places. Jonah is covering kilometers and kilometers in the ocean. He's going further and further. And it seems like Jonah is doing so well. Jonah is comfortable. Jonah has friends in the boat with him. And everything is going well for Jonah seemingly. What does the Bible say? But God sent a wind. And that wind ruffled up the seas. And the sea that was once calm at one point is now rough. The sea that was once still is now no longer still. It's at war. The waves have risen up. The waves are beating up against the ship. And now the ship of comfort is rocking. The ship of comfort is in distress. The Bible says it was so bad that they began to cast the wares out of the boat. In other words, all of the cargo that was in the boat, they began to offload it because they're trying to survive. They were worried. They were much perplexed. We are drowning. We are going down. Let's throw out the heavy things first. Nothing's working. Let's get into the lighter things first. Nothing's working. Let's get into the ship itself. Whatever parts in the ship you feel are not necessary, break them out. Take the benches out. Because we're trying to survive. And the boat is rocking. Remember, the same boat Jonah was in. Jonah was once comfortable in that boat, but now Jonah is no longer comfortable because the boat is rocking. Remember, the cause of the storm is God himself. What am I saying to you? Sometimes in life, the things that beat up against us, the problems that we encounter have been allowed by God himself. Why? Because God is trying to get our attention. It's easy for us to... Things are going bad in my life. The devil hates me. That's true. But guess what? God lets it happen because you've forgotten how to pray. 
And so God will allow some kind of drama to remind you to pray. When things don't work out in your home sometimes, guess what? It just may be God ringing the bell, saying you are too comfortable, you are too relaxed, you are too lukewarm. You've got to wake up and you've got to start doing, taking action because you are not in my will. What did we read there? Jonah was fleeing away from God's presence, fleeing away from Nineveh. He was going in the opposite direction. And so God is like, look, brother, you've got to make a U-turn, wrong direction. God can sometimes be like, our, like the road signals. You know when you're driving and you go in a bit too fast, the signal pops up, 40 kilometers, speed up. What is that telling you? We love you. We're trying to keep you alive. Slow down. <laughs> Slow down. The red light. What's it saying to you? There's traffic ahead. There's traffic flowing ahead. Stop. Oh, but I'm enjoying my ride. Stop. The light is flashing. Stop. There's danger ahead. And that's what God does. God would use these things in our lives to be warning signs. He'd use the issues in our lives to take us out of that lackadaisy uh, attitude we're in sometimes. When everything is going well, it's easy to forget who our foundation and our rock is. It's easy to be so comfortable. So God's like, okay, I'll show this person. He sends a wind. Here comes the wind. It'll be in different forms. And it comes to rock your boat. But guess what? The Bible says, while all this was happening, Jonah was in the boat laying fast asleep. How scary is that? Jonah's in the boat. His valuables are with him in the boat. There's a storm that's risen up and rocked the boat. Jonah, in that process, has lost his cargo, his luggage has been cast overboard because everything in the boat was thrown overboard. Correct? Whatever was in there was thrown overboard. Jonah's money, Jonah's clothes, Jonah's cargo thrown overboard. But while he was being robbed of all of these things, guess what he was doing? How easy it is sometimes when we let ourselves go and we get too comfortable in God's business for us to lose things without even noticing it. We forget how to pray. Oh boy, there goes my kid rebelling again. We stop reading our Bible. There goes the drama. Oh boy, trouble at work. The moment we slow down, the moment we compromise the leader of our lives, who was Jesus, the moment we compromise our salvation, the moment we put our God down with regard to God's business, the devil comes in and he starts to rob us blind. And because we're so caught up in ourselves, in our own ways, we don't even see it happening. Jonah's laying fast asleep. He's in trouble. The boat's rocking. He's about to drown. But he does not know because he's sleeping. The cargo, the boat is empty. But he's got no clue because he is fast asleep. Anyway, in the boat, the Bible says, the other men in the boat, they begin to call upon their own gods. Not the true God. They begin to call on their idols. The gods that they worship. The God of the moon. The God of the sea. The God of the stuff. All the false gods. These men who are ungodly begin to realize that this problem we're in 
is not a natural problem. Therefore, it needs a spiritual solution. And in their own ignorance, they begin to call on their gods, which we know is an evil thing. But I admire the one thing. They began to discern that this problem is far beyond the problem that man can solve. It's like I was here, I think a few months ago, and I was preaching, and I said to you, when I got this job at the Department of Corrections as a prison officer, when I did the interview, and I spoke to the commissioner and all of that, they said to me that the way the system was being run is not helping. They've used psychiatry. It's not working. They've used force. These are ungodly people. They're not born again. They've used force. It's not working. They said we need spiritual help. They said we don't really specify what kind of spiritual help. We just need, in a broad spectrum, spiritual help. And I was like, well, I'm born again. I'm a Christian. I'm an evangelist. I preach. I can offer you that, you know. And God's been good because where I'm at, I propagate Christianity. And I've been very blessed not to be challenged by it too much. So I'm pushing the gospel in that particular part of my life. But my point being that the sinner out there can see that the day and age we're living in needs spiritual help. But the children of God are so comfortable that we don't pick it up and we don't see it. These men in the boat have called upon their gods, but Jonah, remember, the one who the living God spoke to, Jonah, the one whose ear was tuned in to God's voice, that man was laying fast asleep with not a clue what's going on. Anyway, the Bible says those same ungodly men, they go down to the bottom of the boat. Guess what they're doing? They're looking for help. Guess what they've realized? Help can only come through that man. Because that man has 1% of holiness in him or something. But we need this man to wake up that this problem may be solved. Don't you realize, sometimes, like notice, sometimes in our families, whenever things go wrong, that same brother that doesn't believe in the gospel that you preach, when things go bad, don't they send you a text, please pray for us? Have you realized that? Ungodly people may be at work. When things go bad, oh, Brother Johnny, please, man, you know, just remember me in prayer. I know you are a praying person. Please just pray for us. In other words, the unbeliever can discern sometimes more than what we can. That... They need spiritual help. The day and the hour we live in needs a spiritual solution. We just heard this morning, politics is not helping. All you got to do to confirm that, go and buy a newspaper, page through, that will tell you. Vic Paul has failed. Page through the paper, it will tell you. Voting for this person and that person has failed. It does not work. Economics does not work. Changing countries does not work. The only thing that works is Jesus. The only one who can change our lives is Jesus. The only cure to our sickness is Jesus. The only cure to the madness among the young people in this world is Jesus. The only one in our marriages, guess who? Jesus. In our finances, Jesus. In our churches, it's Jesus. We've got a big youth problem in Australia. But guess who can solve that? Jesus. We can try and change this law and it's not going to help. We need Jesus. What we got to do as a church is rise up as God's children, is rise up in our homes. We need to rise up and let Jesus be once again the central figure in our home. We got to allow Jesus Christ to be the one who raises our children. Get them to know Jesus. 
Jesus, forget everything else. My child, serve the Lord. That's the best advice I can give you. Jesus. The Bible says these men, they go down into the boat and they go and wake Jonah up. What an embarrassment. The one man that can hear from God is going to be woken up in the midst of trouble. Gee whiz. They wake him up. Jonah, we're dying. We're dying. Perhaps we've called on our gods, Jonah. We've tried to, you know, be good sailors and get our way out the storm. It hasn't worked. We've, we've thrown the cargo overboard. Jonah, you've got to wake up, man. You've got to call. And listen to what they say. You've got to call upon your God. Jonah, we've tried our thousand gods. Our gods have failed us. Perhaps this God of Israel, he can help us. Jonah, call on your God. What am I saying to you, child of God, this morning? In your home, rise up and call upon the true God. In your marriage, rise up and call upon the true God. In your finances, rise up and call upon the true God. Stop putting your faith in seek jobs. Oh, I'm trying to get a job. I'll go to seek. No, call upon the name of Jesus and then go to seek. At university, things are tough. You challenge as a young person. It's difficult. Guess what? Coffee is not going to help you. Red Bull is not going to help you. <laughs> right there in the class, before the lecture begins, call upon your God. Trust Him because in the basic things, He helps you because He's God. Call upon your God. Rise up. Take charge. Call upon your God. In your community, things are going bad. Guess what? You are there because you are the solution. The light of God in you is the only way that the community will take a transformation and change. Rise up in your community and call upon the name of Jesus. At work, when they're scandaling about you, oh, she's weird. When we have staff parties, she doesn't drink. She's weird. When we have staff parties, she doesn't flirt. She's weird. Guess what? Right there at work, rise up and call upon your God. Perhaps your God will be able to change the circumstance right there at your workplace. The Bible says Jonah, he gets up. Because these men have challenged him. Think about it. Ungodly men now. People who don't have God in your hearts. In fact, they're worshipping idols, demons. They've challenged the man who can hear from God. Call upon your God. Jonah gets up and guess what? Jonah has the solution. He's like, oh boy, has this happened? He's like, gentlemen, I can explain. He's like, I can explain. I can tell you one thing that will fix this whole problem. It's my fault. I'm in disobedience, he says. God told me to go there, but I went there. But if you guys can sacrifice me, he says, throw me overboard. This whole problem will be solved. What am I saying to you, child of God? The Bible says, unless a kernel of wheat falleth into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it perishes, it will bring forth much fruit. In other words, you as a child of God have got to be a sacrifice in this world for things to change. For our salvation to come through, Jesus had to lay down his life and he had to sacrifice Keep up all the fancy things in heaven. Come down here on earth and compromise himself. Give up, literally, give up his life that you and I can, can receive life. So in other words, for change to come into your life, into your home, into your circumstance, you have got to sacrifice. I know that word is a scary word, sacrifice. I mean, in the 21st century, people don't talk about sacrificing. We all want comfort. We want the cross that's padded. 
We want the cross that has air conditioning. We want the cross that has wheels on it and is motorized. Put me on that cross, Lord. Not the nails. Put rubber bands on me. The ones with foam on them so I don't feel the pain. Put me on that cross with a bit of a seat in the back so I don't really stand straight up and feel the pain of strain. Put me on that cross, Lord. So when I'm tired, I can just, you know, press the remote and the cross will just move itself and the cross will carry me. Put me on that one. Not that hard one. I don't want that cross. I want the easy one. I've come to break your heart this morning. You've got to sacrifice. You've got to go through the pain. Hallelujah. You've got to go through the persecution. Amen. You've got to go through resistance. You've got to fight. Jesus, he refers to us as soldiers. Paul speaks so many times of us being in the army of the Lord. We're soldiers. We're fighting. There's no time for comfort. There's no time for giving up. There's no time for laziness. The cross is not going to get any easier. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, guess what? They will persecute me, but persecute you. If they challenge my word, they'll challenge your word. If they gave me a hard time, they're going to give you a hard time. If the devil resisted Jesus, he's going to resist you. You've got to go through storms. You've got to go through challenges. And you've got to be prepared to use that word. Yes, I'm going to say it. I know it sounds vulgar. Sacrifice. How scary is that word? Sacrifice. Everything's got to be easy in the 21st century. The young people today want to inherit houses. Oh, I'm not going to work hard and buy my own house. I'll inherit my old folks' house. I'll wait until they die. I don't want to work hard. Because we are fleeing from that word sacrifice. I don't want a difficult job. I want to work maybe from like, you know, 4 p.m. till 5 p.m. and earn $10,000 a month. Why must I work hard? We've forgotten sacrifice. Oh, when I get a baby, you know, I'll just give birth to this child and I'll be away on holidays and I'll get a nanny to take care of this child 24 hours a day. Because we're fleeing from sacrifice. Nobody wants to sacrifice. That old school practice of sacrifice is forgotten and it's been brought into the church. Fasting and praying. Oh. Committing to church. Two hours of church. Over seven days. Two hours. Oh, so much. Commitment to you, Lord. Commitment to you. I've got to read the Bible. Ten minutes a day. Oh, man. My three hours of Facebook. That's okay. Ten minutes of the Bible. Oh, man. Sacrifice. Jonah, he, at that moment, experienced change. He says, gentlemen, for there to be a solution, I've got to say this word. I've learned. Throw me overboard. He dares, dares sacrifice himself. And guess what? This is another vulgar thing in churches today. Not for himself. For other people. How bad is that? Throw me overboard, he says, and yours lives will be spared. Boy! That's another mind-blowing one. God is challenging us as children of God, as Christians, to live a life of sacrifice. Hear it? so that other people can get saved. My goodness. So that other people can be blessed. Wow. So that other people can benefit of your sacrifice. My goodness, how scary is that? But that's where the breakthrough lies. Because the moment they cast him overboard, and another thing, these unbelievers were so afraid, they said, but are you sure, Jonah? Are you sure? 
if we cast you overboard, will your God not be angry with us? Are you sure this is the thing that you want us to do? So these men who are ungodly had more fear and reverence for God's, for Jonah's God than Jonah himself. Ungodly men were afraid. We are even scared to even throw you overboard in case your God gets angry with us. Are you sure? He's like, yes, throw me overboard. We've got a reverence God. We've got to restore back into the house of God the fear of the Lord. God is our friend, I know, but we've got to walk softly and circumspectly before God. There's a thin line between friendship and familiarity. There's got to be that reverence that God is holy. God is a just God. I don't want to serve God haphazardly. Oh, well, oh, well, I'll just do my own thing. No, 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 no. We've got to walk softly before the Lord. We've got to sense His presence. That's why we don't do an ungodly thing because I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to disappoint God. Therefore, I will walk holy and circumspectly before this great and mighty God. They throw Him overboard. And guess what happens? The storm is stirred. And God had before time, the Bible says, God had prepared a fish already to rescue Jonah from his sacrifice and reward him with salvation. Snatch him out of that ocean and deliver him to the shore alive. What am I saying to you today? The very thing that you are going through is designed by God to get you to a point of alertness, to revive you, to wake you up. Arise, get out of your slumber. And when you get out of your slumber and you do that sacrifice, God challenges you. He says, hey, look, I'm challenging you now. Go and witness to this person. I know they intimidate him. I just go tell him Jesus loves him. Tell him that. Guess what? God has prepared a way of escape for you. When things go bad in your life, God has already preordained an escape plan. In other words, God will not send you out there for you to die and leave you alone. No. God has prepared a fish. Jonah had no clue about the storm was going to come, but God knew. And God had a long time ago had a way out for him. And this is the God that we serve. When we give God our 1% of faith, God takes that 1% of faith and God multiplies it. Because God is a good God. He loves you. And he will not design a plan that's going to ultimately and utterly destroy you. So when God challenges you to sacrifice, God has already created a breakthrough for you. So whatever the challenge is that you're feeling in your heart today, God has decided already a reward, structured plan of blessing to come to you. Spiritual blessing. Spiritual breakthrough. When you give God a 10 minutes of prayer, He'll give you a lifetime's, uh, lifetime of transformation. In closing, I remember when I was a sinner. Now, this is the one thing I like to talk about. Uh, what I preach is what I've experienced. I never ever preach God's word out of just textbook approach. No, I preach that which has worked for me. And because it's worked for me, it can work for you. So when I was a sinner man, and I got born again in South Africa, you know, uh, I always say this, my physical life never changed. I still lived in a little home. I was still motherless. I was still fatherless, and I was still poor. 
So even though salvation was instant in my life, change at the moment didn't seem instant. Because after I got saved, they prayed for me. When that was over, I went back to a home that had no electricity. I went back to poverty. And when I was there, I was like, God, how does this work? Salvation has come. How does now breakthrough come? So God challenged me with the same sacrifice uh, I'm talking to you about. He says, you've got to pray. He says, now you've got to get on your knees. You've got to give me, give me a sacrifice. Get on your knees and call upon my name. And guess what? I prayed the Monday. Guess what? Tuesday, the lights were still off. I prayed on Tuesday. Guess what? Wednesday came. Still no power. One month later, no electricity. I got tired of praying. I lost words. No more adjectives to use now to describe my circumstance. But guess what? God says, you continue to pray. And I prayed. And I prayed. And a few months later, God gave me a breakthrough. I begin to learn how to work. I learned how to weld and make my own money gradually. What am I saying to you? God will give you a reward. It may not be an instant one, but when you give in, you give in to God. Like even Jonah, when he was cast over the sea and he went down and down, at some point he must have lost faith. At some point he must have given up. But God is not a God that will let us drown. He will always reach down and at our seemingly our last moments, snatch us up and save us. So when things were at their worst in my life, God says, pray again. And I prayed. And breakthrough came into my life. And folks that see me will don't even believe that. Like, Johnny, where did you grow up? Ask my wife. I took her to the apartment where I lived. She cannot get over it. How did you survive in the Anatola? It was the 10 minutes of sacrifice to God. Not, not, not too much. Just the 10 minutes I gave him. God, please help me. I need help. Bless me. Deliver me. Teach my hands how to work. Help me, Lord the breakthrough came. This morning, what am I saying to you? That Jesus who gave me a breakthrough can give you a breakthrough. What am I saying? Let your heart be encouraged. The thing that you're going through right now is not there to kill you. It's not designed to end your life. It's designed to get your attention. It's like the red light flashing. Stop. Just stop and give God glory. Just stop. Lift your hands to Him. This morning, God wants to touch you. This morning, God wants to heal you. Even sickness, it's not unto death. God will use that to get your attention. No matter what it is, if you give your attention to God and make that sacrifice, I can guarantee you life. Yes, at the beginning, it may be a bit daunting because you're drowning and the waters are going down your, your, your lungs and you're losing faith. But it's at that moment that Jesus comes and snatches you up and gives you a breakthrough because this is who he is. And the end of that story was Jonah got onto the shore and guess what? He completed the mission that God had begun in verses 1. He went over and he preached. And today God can allow you to complete the mission of your life. That initial command he'd given you, he can allow you to pick it up again and continue. Jesus Christ, we just sang, he is alive. The old rugged cross, the blood, it still flows up until today. I want to pray for you. No matter what your ailment is, I want to pray for you. Spiritual matter, I want to pray for you. For the financial matter, I want to pray for you. Because God is able. God can, and most importantly, God will. This is the God who I serve. So this morning with every head bowed, 
and every eye and every eye closed. If you saying preacher man, I understand that which you're talking about. I'm going through a similar circumstance, and I need a touch from the Lord. I want to pray with you. If you're not born again and you're in this service this morning, you're saying preacher man, I don't even know Jesus. I've heard about him. Well, guess what? This morning you can know him, and he can save you. All you got to do is call upon his name and believe, and you shall be saved. You got an addiction, maybe. You know, every now and again you just do the wrong thing. He can deliver you this morning. This is the God who I serve. No matter what it is, how big or how small it may be, He is able to help you. So if you're saying, I want prayer, just right in your seat, no one looking around, no watching, just put your hand up and put it down again and I'm going to pray with you. Just put your hand up nicely for me, up and down, and we're going to trust God for a breakthrough because God is the God of the breakthrough. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we just pray this very morning. I'm going to call on the man of God. Pastor, if you can just come and just stand with me this morning. And we pray for the different ones whose hands just went up this morning. We just hold hands and trust God for a breakthrough for them. Trust God. Let's get the mic. Trust God to just begin to touch every life and every heart that's in here. Because God can and God will. Thank yes, you, Father, Jesus. Right now, in Jesus' name. For the impossible. Lord, that you are speaking to individual hearts. You are faithful and you God, you are ministering God to life. Jesus. Lord, let us not only hear the word of the Lord, but God, let us yield and let us obey. Jesus. Lord, I pray, God, as uh, people are doing business even now, Lord God, that you would complete the work that you've begun. Bring deliverance. God, bring healing. Bring wholeness. Lord, bring liberty. God, I pray that your spirit would have your way. In the hearts of those, Lord, that are gathered here today. God, we ask your blessing. We ask your grace. We ask your mercy. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother John. The Word is alive, living, powerful, and there's much there for us to receive. And I trust that God has spoken to individual lives, and I know that He has this morning. Um, interestingly, I was thinking as you were talking, they, uh, they've put a label on this generation. They're calling it the snowflake. Snowflake <laughs> generation. Yeah, they're that soft that they, that they've come up with a term to, uh, uh, characterize them. And, um, yeah, there's lots of reasons for it, I think, in terms of the way in which they're going about things. Must be all that psychology nonsense. But um, it's the issue of sacrifice. And the issue of obedience is the issue of, um, of making those hard decisions to take up our cross and follow him. I tell you, as we do that as Christians and as we go through those trials, I look back on my life and I can tell you that the, the, the landmark moments in my life where I have We've met with God where God has met with me. They have come out of the most tumultuous circumstances. The turmoil. And you think, I can't do this. And you just keep praying and you keep seeking God. And at that moment, amen, God breaks through and it is tremendous. And so let's be encouraged this morning. And the Lord bless you all. And and remember, um, next week, we will have our agape meal, as has been pointed out. 
now we'll move across to the room next door and have coffee and tea and whatever else is available there. God bless you. Amen.